right, are we live? Oh my goodness, guys, welcome, hello. It is so good to be here. Uh, man, it has been a while since I have been in the studio streaming live. It has been an eventful summer. Uh, just to give you a quick snapshot, and we're jumping into today's conversation. Uh, over the months of my summer vacation, uh, my wife and family, my son and I, were on the road for about 31 days at different camps, retreats, conferences. I gave about 29 different lectures over the course of 31 days at different events um, from Florida to Colorado to Utah to California. And so it has been crazy. It has been fun. Um, sorry, things have not been posted very much, but I hope that you've enjoyed some of the lecture videos that I've been able to throw up uh, from some of the conferences that I did, especially the Torrance Conference, I'm working my way through some of those series. So anyways, uh, I'm happy to be here and I'm going to talk a little bit more about my summer at the end as well as going to do like a open Q&A, uh, ask, you know, talk about whatever you want to talk about. So um Oh, hey, I, Summit, love what you're doing. Thank you so much, good to be here. Summit was amazing. Those who don't know Summit, I'm wearing one of my Summit shirts. Um, really quick, yeah, my role at Summit. Uh, I was invited by Summit to be a faculty in residence, which means I had to live in the hotel with about 180 students. Uh, I was at home right behind the hotel. Uh, about 180 high school and college students, 16 to 22 years old, uh, where I was able to give four lectures over the 12 days and the rest of the time just hang out, have meals with them, uh, just be available to answer questions and talk about life and theology and apologetics and all that kind of fun stuff. And so um, it was a blast. It was fun. The, the students had good questions. They just wanted to sit and talk almost every single meal. I think I had one meal between breakfast, lunch, and dinner over the 12 days in which like students didn't come over. We were busy doing something else. And so uh, it was a blast. And so, hey, good to see you here. And it was so much fun. I love, love Summit. Looking forward to it. And we'll talk more about that, like I said, at the end. And Slam, thanks for being here. So anyways, it's been a while. And um, and, 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 and this video has been in the, the works for a while. And so we'll give you some context. Back on July 6th, I interviewed Randall Rouser. He wrote the book, Progressive Christians Love Jesus Too. And we had a conversation kind of on the differences between a progressive view uh, of God and progressive theology and kind of a, a classical kind of historical Christian view um, of God and of theology and kind of looking at the differences uh, between the two different views and trying to kind of see where are they similar, where are they different, what can we learn? And I thought, uh, and I wanted to have that conversation because as I picked up his book to kind of get a different perspective on how I normally see things. Uh, there was stuff in the book that I disagreed with and we talked about those things, as well as there's a lot of stuff that I thought he raised some really good questions that are worth thinking through. And so that is why I had him on the show and I wanted to talk about those things with him to, to kind of work through those differences I think that we had. Now, after the conversation ended, and the live stream ended, uh, we continued to have a little bit of a conversation um, and uh, uh, a little bit of conversation afterwards, uh, just between us kind of offline. And he presented to me uh, this thought experiment that is in one of his books. And, and he kind of worked through this thought experiment with me to try to help me see or, or to kind of uh, give his view on how love uh, and, and right action is more valuable or better or more important than right belief when it comes to doctrine. So just believing the right things versus loving. And Scarlett, thanks for being here. Utah was awesome. Uh, glad you had fun in Utah. Utah was another one of my summer things. So hey guys, if you want to talk more about summer stuff, uh, again, I'll talk about that at the end, but uh, excited to see people here that I got a chance to work with over the summer. This is super fun. So anyways, um, I gave him a quick thought uh, on, on this thought experiment, and then we kind of moved on and talked about other things and the conversation ended. Well, later that day, he posted the thought experiment 
as well as some responses to it and his conclusion from it on his own YouTube channel. And so I contacted him and I said, hey, I, I watched your video again. I've been thinking about it and I have some more thoughts. How would you like me to respond? And he said, hey, why don't you make a video response? So Randall, here is my video response if you are watching. As I just try to work through this, I hope that I'm representing you well um, and, and trying to understand what you are saying here in this con uh, in the video based on the context of our conversation, both before and after. And so that is what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of work through this thought experiment. I'm going to talk about kind of where um, where I would land on it, my explanation or my evaluation of it. Um, we I'll take some questions from you if you want to talk through it, if you want to offer some thoughts on it, or you want to kind of bring up some objections or some points uh, related to the thought experiment, then you can do that as well. And then after we are done, then uh, just kind of open up the conversation to see where it goes from there. So if you want to have, uh, if you want to talk about the summer stuff, if you want to kind of hear a ministry update, if you want to have other apologetic worldview, ethical, theological questions, you can start posting those in the live chat now. Um, and then I will get to them after we get to this video. So uh, this is a video. I'm going to play the video in whole, um, kind of pause it a couple times throughout and kind of offer some thoughts and kind of give, again, my more... I guess well thought out my <laughs> my the one I thought about a little bit more uh, response to this video. So here we go, starting with this video. And by the way, if you want to watch it uh, in whole as well, uh, it's posted on YouTube in the description below. Uh, the video title is actually I'm just blanking right now on what the video title is exactly. Uh, how you love is more important than what you believe. That is the title of the video on Randall Rouser, the Tentative Apologist channel. Uh, so here we go. Here is the beginning of the video. Hey there, Christians, and everybody else listening in as well. In this video, I'm going to defend the thesis that how you love is more important than what you believe in terms of doctrine. Now, there are many Bible verses that I could cite in order to defend that claim, but for this short video, I'm going to defend the claim by reiterating a thought experiment that I've been offering to people since uh, it came originally published in my 2011 book, You're Not As Crazy As I Think. Uh, so I'm going to give you the thought experiment. I'm going to respond quickly to a few objections to it, which I think are mistaken. And then I'm going to give my conclusion. Here's the thought experiment based on a true story. The year is 1994. It is Rwanda between April and July of 1994. Probably the most effective genocide of the 20th century occurred in terms of body count over a short period of time. More than 800,000 Tutsis were massacred by the majority Hutu population within Rwanda. And uh, the great tragedy is Rwanda was in fact the most Christianized of all nations in Africa at the time. Uh, now I wanna talk within the, the background of that horrible context. I wanna talk about two different responses to the genocide. The first response was by a Christian pastor named Elizaphan Nkutarama. Uh, Nukuturama, when he, he was himself Hutu, the, the dominant class that was perpetuating the genocide. And during the genocide, he was contacted in secret by some of his Tutsi congregants who were hiding, and they were begging him for help and protection and deliverance as their pastor. Instead of offering them deliverance, he sent the Hutu militias to massacre them. The militias went in and cut down his congregants into pieces. That was the action of Pastor Elizaphan Nikotarama. On the other hand, there was a Muslim named Mabai Diagni who worked with the United Nations peacekeeping forces in Rwanda at the time. He did not have a weapon and he was told to remain within the compound in Kigali. But instead of that, every day he disregarded the commandments 
that had been commands that had been given to him. And he left the compound, driving his Jeep and going out and finding Tutsis and putting them into his Jeep and then getting them back through multiple Hutu checkpoints and into the safety of the compound. And the way he did it was by using cigarettes and jokes. Now imagine the kind of courage it takes to venture out every day and to put the very people that are the object of the genocide into your Jeep and then just to joke with the Hutu militias who are wielding guns and, and machetes at checkpoints and give them cigarettes and a joke and try to hope that you get through. But that's what he did day after day. And he saved the lives of dozens of Tutsis until he was finally blown apart by shrapnel in May of, two, or of 1994. So uh, this is our two responses to the Rwandan genocide. The Christian pastor who participated in genocide or the Muslim peacekeeper who uh, saved the lives of the very people who were the object or the target of the genocide. The first one, he acted in an abominable way, but he believed the right things in terms of Christian doctrine. The second person, he, in terms of doctrine, believed the wrong things. Christians believe Islam is an incorrect theology. He believed the wrong things, but he lived consistent with the love of God and neighbor in terms of his actions. And so then I ask the question, if you had the choice of one of those two individuals to go before the throne of God with the life, beliefs, and legacy of Pastor Nikotarama or of peacekeeper Mabai Diagni, which of those two lives and legacies would you choose? All right, let me stop here for a second. Um, so here's a thought experiment. Now, uh, when, when I heard this for the first time, uh, my first thought was, well, that's a false dichotomy. Um, and it was interesting because uh, he presented this thought experiment as well to Doug Grotice uh, on his debate on, on do progressives, you know, do progressives love Christian, Christ, uh, Jesus too, is progressive Christianity another gospel on the Unbelievable Show with Justin Brierley. And Doug Grotice also responded, well, this is a false dichotomy, um, you know, because we, we recognize this understanding in Christianity, like, well, I don't have to choose between right beliefs or right actions. Like it's about having both. Um, and, and so he's going to respond to that in just a moment on why this is not a false dichotomy and, and kind of uh, the response that I initially gave. But here's here's what I want to try to help kind of think through. And, and I'm going to play his response to the false dichotomy claim and then and then kind of work through it. But but I think it's not just a false dichotomy. And then like, which one would you want to choose is is I think that these are inseparable things. I think this is what is, is really important to kind of recognize. And I'm going to look at some scripture that I think is, is important is, is that these are almost inseparable things that if you truly do have right belief, then this is going to flow. If you have faith in God, this is going to flow out. And if it's not coming, if, if the actions are not flowing out, then, then you don't have the right beliefs. And so this understanding of looking at this Christian pastor and saying, look, he, he acted in an abominable way, but he believed the right things. I think what we have to recognize and stop for a second and, and ask is, what do we mean by belief? When we talk about believing the right things. What do we mean by that? Is, is it having faith in the right things? Is it simply just having a head knowledge of the right things, right? Even Satan believes that God exists and that Jesus is the son of God, but clearly Satan is not saved and Satan is doing terrible, destructive things. So is it just simply believing the right things and that you just have this head knowledge of who God is and, and that God exists and that God raised Jesus from the dead and all this kind of stuff, but, but it hasn't transferred to a true love of God and a faith in God? Um, or when we talk about the pastor believing the right things, is it actually like, no, he was a genuine Christian that didn't act in this way. 
And I think as we look at some of these verses that, that are going to maybe clarify this for us, I think this is a really important part is, is that I think we often separate, and I don't know if Randall's necessarily doing this here, but I think it's an important point to make here, is that there's a difference between belief that and belief in. There's a difference between believing that something is true and then trusting in that thing. Right. And the simple example, you can believe that a chair will hold you, but you don't really put your faith in the chair until you sit down. Right. Once you sit down, now you believe in that chair. You put your faith in that chair. And so I think that we can say, yeah, there are people that believe the right things, but they have not put faith in God. And so, and so if we're going to say, well, believing the right things is actually putting faith in God, but then acting inappropriately, I think that's where there's that disconnect. There's, I don't, you know, we can say maybe draw that line between faith in, belief in, and belief that. Now, I'll look at a few scripture passages here in a moment that kind of work through this, but that was kind of my first thought is, well, hold on a second. Like, how are we separating these two things out? It seems like a false dichotomy. And here's where he responds to the false dichotomy claim. At this point, I get the common rebuttal. Well, it's a false dichotomy. That's one of the rebuttals. Uh, you don't have to choose, but that actually misses the point. This is a thought experiment. Let me give you another thought experiment. Uh, imagine that you are dropped off in the woods and you can have one thing with you, either a compass or a Bowie knife, which would you rather have? Now, it doesn't make sense for you to reply, well, that's a false dichotomy. Why can't I have both the compass and the Bowie knife? Well, you can't have both precisely because that's the point of a thought experiment. If you only had one, which one of the two would you choose? Which one is more valuable to you? All right. So here's where I think um, this kind of helps is he brings up this other kind of example of why it's not a false dichotomy, right? That's the point of the thought experiment is which one would you choose? If you could have a compass or a Bowie knife as you're lost in the forest, which one would you choose? Which one is more valuable? Now, in at this point, now he's going to go on and explain a few more things and we'll get there. But at this point, the question is, okay, valuable for what? Right. Here's why I think this is a really important question is valuable for what? Now, in a simple way, I think you could say the, the compass would be valuable to get you out of the forest, right? It's going to give you directions to lead you to the road that you need uh, and, and actually kind of save you. Um, and the Bowie knife maybe could be valuable to get you out if there's like brush that you got to chop through or something. But more so, a knife is going to maybe be valuable to protect your life while you're stuck in the forest or maybe to chop down some trees and whittle a you know, a stick into a spike so you can stab some some creature or something and you can eat and survive a little bit longer while you're in the forest. I think that a compass and a Bowie knife provide different values, right? And it's valuable in different ways. I think one, the knife would maybe make your life more comfortable while you're trying to survive, maybe leading to a longer, slow death uh, versus the compass is valuable to save you from the forest. And so you can, in, in that example specifically, you can walk through and you can work through the, the differences of value and say, okay, based on these, what this thing offers, what is more valuable for what I need? And if I need to get out of the forest, well, then a compass is going to be more valuable and I pick a compass. If I need to, you know, I'm not planning to get out right now and I'm, I'm wanting to stay here for a little while and I need to get some food and I need to survive, then, well, now the, the knife becomes more valuable. I don't need a compass just to build a fire and, and, and get some wood. And so I choose the knife. And so we ask that question, valuable for what? Now, if, no, that's where it comes back to the first example, where he said, if you had a choice to go before the throne of God, which one would you choose? Right? So it seems like in this thought experiment, in the original one, it's saying, would you rather have the life of the Christian pastor who, who committed genocide or the Muslim man who, who saved and rescued people before the throne of God? Which one is more valuable in that sense? 
And I think it, my first response is neither. Right now, I, I have to choose, but but here here's why I say that. If you if you pull up, uh, for example, um, uh, why do I say neither? Well, let, let me actually let me step back for a second and work through this. First is if we're asking before the throne of God, are we, are we asking um, to to be saved, uh, to 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 stand before God and and, and to make a case that that um, I deserve salvation? I think if we're going to say that, I think what's important is take a step back is to say, okay, what what has to happen in order to be saved? What is required in order to be saved? And so I think that the first thing that we can look at here, as I pull up um, some scripture, is is Romans chapter ten, right? In, in verse thirteen, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I think the first important point that I want to make is, is that belief is required for salvation, right? It says, how will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who, if, if they've never heard? And how are they to hear if someone, without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Right. And so I think what Paul is writing here in Romans chapter 10 is this importance of, of belief in Jesus, for salvation, to stand before the throne of God. The only thing that matters at that point is that we have believed in Jesus Christ and our names have been written in the book of life. And this is what uh, Revelation chapter 20 talks about, right? With the great white throne of judgment and, 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 and the great white throne and him who seated on it from his presence, the earth and the sky fled away. No place was found for them. And I saw the, the dead, the great and small standing before the throne and the books were open. Then another book was open, which is the book of life. The, the dead were judged according to what was written in the books, according to what they had done, right? And so this idea of the at judgment, that those who are entering into heaven are judged based on their names being written in the book of life, trusting in Jesus Christ. It's, it's not based on what we do. And, and Randall doesn't make that case. He's going to address that here in a moment. It's not a works-based salvation, um, but, but there are people that do wonderful things, right? And Jesus says, you know, did I not cast out demons in your name? Did I not heal people in your name? And Jesus says, for go away from you for I never knew you, right? The, 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 the deciding factor in standing before the throne of God is have we been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ? And I think that in order to be in that position, that belief is required. And this is something that Randall and I got into in our conversation and, and he pushed back against. And we talked about it a little bit in my interview in, in, with him in July, on July 6th, is that I think that belief is a requirement, is a necessary condition for one to be saved. And so this idea that like you have to believe, but how do you believe unless you've heard about Jesus? How, how can you trust in, in Jesus unless this preaching has happened? And so I think that, you know, what, what what's being mentioned here is this importance Right, that, that Paul is summing up here in Romans chapter 10 that, that faith only comes through hearing the gospel. Right, this specific message of, of who Jesus is and who we are and how that reacts and, and how we respond to that, that he has been crucified and is a risen Savior. And that without that faith in Jesus Christ, without choosing to believe in him, then we are not saved. I think we can go over to John chapter three, right? Here's another verse that whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And so here in verse 36 of John chapter three, again, we see this idea of eternal life indicating, right? This, this experience that we have and that the wrath of God is against the person who does not believe. Unless a person believes in Jesus Christ as the Messiah, then they are going to be under the judgment of God. 
And so in that situation, you, you look at this example and you, and I, and I would say on, and the, on the surface, the Muslim man has rejected Jesus. Right. And I don't have that verse actually pulled up here. Um, right. But the, the verse where, uh, if you deny me, where Jesus says in Matthew 10, 33, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father in heaven. Right. And so kind of looking again at this example of, of what is happening, if, 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 if the person is denying Jesus Christ, then Jesus will deny him before the father. And that person is not saved. There's a, a an importance of believing in Jesus Christ to be saved. We can also see that here really quickly in Acts, right? Then he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So I think that there's a strong example that we can continue kind of looking at scripture of this importance of believing in Jesus Christ. And if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, then your name is not written in the book of life and that you will not be saved. So if we are saying, which one would you rather be on judgment day would you rather be the Christian pastor who committed genocide or would you rather be the Muslim who uh, who loved and did wonderful things? Um, which one kind of is more valuable to you? Um, then I would say, well, I, I wouldn't want to be the Muslim man on Judgment Day because that man does not has rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior uh, and is not going to be saved because he did loving, kind things and saved others. Now, what about this? Um, what about the, the, the Christian, right? What about the, the Christian pastor who committed genocide? Well, I think, again, we, we have to look then and say, well, what does it look like to be someone who claims to be a Christian, but is doing unspeakably evil, abominable things, right? And we can look here at 1 John chapter 4, right? Where it talks about this idea of God is love. It says, be loved. Let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And so this idea, again, it doesn't rule out the need for faith and conversion in Jesus Christ, right? So for example, uh, here are our two verses, right? Where it says, you know, no one who denies the son has the father. Right? This is kind of a, another example of what I was just quoting earlier from Matthew. Whoever confesses the son has the father also. Uh, this is also first John chapter two, then first John chapter four at the beginning. By this, you know, the spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And so when we look at these two previous passages in first John chapters two and four, when we get to this passage in chapter four, it's not saying that just because you, you are a kind, loving, compassionate person, therefore you are a Christian or therefore you're a believer in God. There's still a requirement of confession of Jesus and belief in Jesus. But this idea that, look, if you are not loving, right? Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So there, there's this natural inherent connection that if you truly know God and you know that God is love, that then we are called to love, right? We love because he first loved us. If you truly understand the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and the love that God poured out and the forgiveness and compassion that he gave to us, we should also then go and extend that to others. I don't know how this gets separated. Right at the very bottom of this uh, paragraph, the end of chapter four, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he does not love his brother whom he has, whom he has, wait, seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. Right. And I think that what's, what's clear here is that if you're saying, I love God as that pastor probably did and then hates his brother and commits genocide, 
then he's a liar that he doesn't actually love God that. And so then what, what does it mean then in this thought experiment to say he believed rightly? Well, then he just, maybe he believed that God exists. Maybe he believed that God is love, but he definitely didn't love God. Like there, there's not, this is not translated to anything. And so I think well, you could possibly make the case that this Christian pastor standing before God, before the throne of God, he's also not saved, right? We, we see this clearly in, in the book of James, right? Faith without works is dead. Right? We see this in 1 Corinthians, that, that if you speak in tongues of man, but you have not love, you're a noisy clinging symbol, right? There's all these verses that, that I know Randall agrees with, that, that love is this expression or love is, is showing this true faith. But here's, I think, the important point that I want to get to, and then I'll play the rest of the video and kind of finish up, is, is I don't know how these get separated. Because your actions, your behavior, always flows from what you value. It always flows from your beliefs. The Muslim man in this thought experiment believed that this human life was valuable, and so he risked his life to save it. He had beliefs that translated into love. And you could say maybe the, the, the Christian man had some beliefs, but it didn't translate because those beliefs aren't true beliefs that he, I think he has. It's not, it's not a faith in God. And I think as, as, as James is talking about here and as we've looked at in First John, that if you have this true faith, that it translates, right? That, that this is how we know him, right? First John also in chapter three, this is by this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Here, here's an important point. How do we know what love is apart from doctrine, right? It says, by, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Is it more loving to, to help someone or to hurt them? We know that because we know who God is. It's, it's the foundational beliefs and doctrines of God that, that inform us of who God is, that informs us of what love looks like and what true love is and allows us to live that out. But all of us, are living out our values. All of us are living out our beliefs, right? I, I, I work through this with students all the time. Here, let me jump into here really quick and then we'll get to the back to the video. I do this with students all the time. If you want to change someone's behaviors, we can try to create rules <laughs> and you can like, all right, no more doing that. You can make a rule and you can try to have big punishment, but I, you know, I've seen tons of students go through school and um, they're just in detention like every single week because they have this certain behavior and no amount of punishment is actually changing or affecting them, right? And, and we can sit there and just try to punish, 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 and it often doesn't change. The, the question is, if you wanna change and affect someone's behaviors, you have to look at what they value because our values are going to uh, affect and inform how we then live it out, right? That, that if a student values education, they are gonna be studying for tests and doing their homework and working hard in class. But if a student values fun, they're gonna go home and just play video games and not study for that test because it, that education is not a value to them. So if you wanna change the behavior of someone, you look at their value and you try to help them see how something different is actually a valuable thing that is worth spending time doing. And then at a more fundamental level, it's our worldview that informs us of what is valuable, right? So if our worldview says, you know, what is the purpose of life? Big worldview question. The purpose of life is just to make money. Well, then you're going to value jobs that make you money. You're going to value money. You're going to value these things. And then it's going to lead to a behavior to where you are doing whatever it takes to get more money. 
the purpose of life is just to have fun. And you value the things that give you fun and you don't value the things that are not fun. So you're sitting in a meeting, you're, you're not watching this video maybe because it's not fun to you. <laughs> you. You are in a chapel, you're in a church service, you're in a meeting, it's not fun. You don't value those things. It's boring, you, you sleep through it or you do it because you have to. But the things that we value are fun. And so then those are the things that we do and we're going to be act out in those ways and we're going to enjoy those things that then provide fun because we believe the purpose of life is to have fun. From a Christian view, the purpose of life is to know God, to make him known, enjoy him forever. And so a value becomes studying God's word. A value becomes knowing God more fully and more deeply. A value becomes living in the way that God has called us to live. And then your behaviors then to be reading scripture, studying, loving people, right? These are then going to be lived out behaviors based on the value that we have. And this is why, you know, I, I kind of, I titled this video and I already forgot what I titled it, but, but, you know, like, like these are inseparable, right? That, 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 that actions, trying to think, you can't separate love from belief you can, because your beliefs are going to inform your actions. And so if you are loving it is because you believe certain things. And if you love people, it's based on a belief that this person is a valuable human being, created the image of God that deserves my love and respect. And so the, their beliefs are always going to be informing it. And so if your actions, and I think this is what James is talking about, if your actions are evil, if your actions are bad, then it shows that your faith is not real. And therefore, I, I wouldn't say you're believing the right things. Now, if we want to just make a very simple point, if Randall, if what you're saying here is, no, just, just in terms of doctrine, believing the right things, that, that God exists, that God is Trinity, that Jesus is God, well, then sure, right? You know, even the devil believes those things. But we wouldn't say that is what actually matters, is simply just having a right doctrinal belief, right? The, the idea that is always pressed out is that orthodoxy, right belief, flows into orthopraxy, right action that it's a right belief in who God is, that God is love. When you truly understand who God is, that then that translates you into being a person of love. So let me, let me jump back into the video a little bit. I, I paused there for a long time and gave some thoughts. Uh, let me jump back in the video and then we'll have a few more things to say. Here we go. Here's where he continues. Likewise, uh, yes, in principle, you can live a life and a, a life that is consistent with Christ in terms of action and also belief or doctrine. But the point of the thought experiment is if you only have one, if you only have the life lived consistently with the love of neighbor, or you have the right doctrines, which would you choose? Would you choose the compass or the Bowie knife, right? Would you choose the life and legacy of Nukaturama who believed the right doctrine but participated in genocide? Or would you choose the life and legacy of Mabaya Diagni who rejected the genocide and saved the lives of people but had the wrong theology, a Muslim theology? So here, I think, again, what would you choose? And, and again, the question is kind of what would you choose for what? Um, what would I choose as far as who I want to live by? <laughs> who, who do I want in my neighborhood? <laughs> well, yes, I would rather have the, the person who loves people, um, who, who is caring for people and, and who is saving lives, um, as my neighbor rather than the person committing in genocide. Um, and so I would choose the Muslim if it is, who do I want as my neighbor? Uh, but if, again, the question is, who would I choose to, to stand before the, the judgment seat of God? Um, I think, as I tried to just explain, I think that you can make the case that, that both of them are broken. And so if you go back to the, the compass or the Bowie knife example, the, the, the illustration becomes a little bit more like, okay, if the compass is there to save you from the forest and the Bowie knife makes your life a little bit more comfortable while in the forest, um, 
And in a similar way, maybe you can make the argument uh, that, that the thought experiment is, is the right belief is to save you from this world uh, into heaven and the right action, the love is to make the world a little bit of a better place while we're here. Well, then I think the better maybe uh, analogy would be a broken compass or a Bowie knife. Right. Because I don't think you can make you can make the argument that the beliefs of the pastor are not true beliefs. This is not a genuine saving faith and therefore he's not saved. And the Muslim has rejected God. And scripture talks about, you know, if you reject uh, if you those who deny the son, um, no one who denies the son has the father. And so both of these men are are going to be spending eternal separation from God. And so at that point, which would you choose? I I. That's it's it's like the thought experiment of like, would you rather die by drowning or would you rather die by by being burned alive? Right? As I talked to my mom about this thought experiment, she brought that up as like a, something my nephew would say. Like it's like, well, both of them suck. Both of them end up in your death. And I guess you can kind of sit there and make an evaluation of of which one is better, of which one's going to kill you faster, of which one's going to be less painful, which one would be better in a more comfortable, pragmatic way until you die. But both of them are going to end in death. So again, in that thought experiment, maybe, yeah, if it's a broken compass, so one that's not going to actually save you or a Bowie knife, I'll take the knife because at least it's going to make my life a little bit comfortable while I die in the forest, but I'm not getting saved from the forest. And so it's like, which one I choose in, in the, for the purpose of making my life a little bit more comfortable before judgment day, I guess the Muslim in a sense of like, yeah, that, that, to make life a little bit better. But both of these belief systems, both of these men are going to be separated. Um, and so that's a difficult choice. Now, I, I also want to throw one other thing in here. Um, and it's this. Is it possible? And this kind of this question came up uh, in the live chat, and I'm going to get to a fuller uh, answer here in a little bit from uh, Benji Moneyboy uh, about what do I believe about being able to lose your salvation? Um, I personally don't. I'll explain why here in a little bit. I personally do not believe that you can lose your salvation. That if it's a genuine saving faith, that committing a sin, an evil act, um, is not going to, to cause you to lose that salvation. And I'll explain why here in a little bit. So think about this. It's easy for us to, to look at examples like this in the past and make judgment, right? Hindsight is 20-20. Um, it's much more difficult if you're the person. And I want to assume that if I was born and raised a Christian in Nazi Germany, that I would be the Bonhoeffer, right? That I would be trying to take down Hitler and I would not be one of the prison guards. I want to assume that's what I would be. I want to assume that if there's something terrible act at my school or if there's something goes down, I want to assume that I would be the confident person that would stand up and say, I believe in Jesus Christ and be willing to give my life for that. I, I want to be the, the, um, uh, Richard Wormbrand, right? The, the Christian in, um, under the Soviet oppression that, that, that was tortured for Christ and led to the ministry voice of the martyrs. I want to be the person that stands up for Christ, even if it costs me my life and torture. And I want to say I would do that. But I know myself. I, I don't know how I would act in that moment. And I want to think that I would act well. I want to think that I would do what is right. But we also see examples of people in scripture that didn't. You can look throughout scripture and it's filled with examples. Think about Peter denying Christ before the resurrection, before the crucifixion. 
Think about David and the evil things that he committed. Think about Abraham and not trusting God. And think about all the people throughout all of Scripture who, who followed God and were considered in, in Hebrews as being pillars of the faith who did terrible things in the moment. And God saved them. We, we, rescue, we recognize that we are sinful, fallen people who make terrible decisions. Is it possible that while what this Christian pastor did was an unspeakable evil thing, is it possible that he had a true, genuine faith, made a terrible mistake, cost lives that is evil, but for Christ to rescue him from that and save him from that? I think it's possible. The same way that I've done horrible evil. I have, I'm a wretched sinner, right? I've fallen and I, I continue to sin. And, and my right beliefs and who God is and God being love and calling me to love does not mean that I always act out in love, that I am the most compassionate, generous, selfless person. I have my own selfishness. I have my own wickedness. I have my own evil that Christ is working on and sanctifying me in. And I still believe that I am saved. I believe that there's Christians alive today who are saved, are genuine believers and are not the most loving, compassionate people. And my hope is that they would be transformed, that the power of the Holy Spirit would work on them and make them loving and compassionate people. But I don't think that be, just because they, they act out in this way that they're necessarily unsaved. So I think that there's a, a hard tension here. When we look at scripture to see where it says like, look, faith without works is dead. That, that if you uh, say you love God, but hate your brother, then, then you're lying. But then there's a, a truth to, I'm saved. I can have confidence in my salvation and I'm going to mess up and I'm going to make mistakes. And God forgives us of those if the, this is a genuine faith. And so is it possible? <laughs> I feel weird saying this considering it's a person who participated in genocide. And I would on the surface look at that and say, no, this is not a true faith. This is not true belief. This is not a saving faith that this person had. Um, they're most likely in hell for what they've done. But is it possible that this is a true, genuine Christian that had a bad, bad day, a bad week, made a really bad choice, maybe through pressures, maybe through whatever, and, and regretted it and God saved him? Sure. So in that sense, I would rather be the Christian because in, in, in one sense, it's like, would I rather stand before the throne of God saying, look, I have clothed myself in the righteousness of Christ. I am not righteous in of my own doing. I haven't done the right things. I have messed up. I've committed atrocious evils, horrible acts, but Christ is better. Christ is good and Christ has saved me. And I would rather be that person who says, I put it in the acts of Christ, not in my own acts. It's not because I've done loving things. It's not because I've done good. It's because of who Christ is. And again, we can look at other scriptures that talk about, right, our, our good deeds are like filthy rags. Like without the righteousness of Christ, what does it mean to be good? Only God is good. And so we can look at people like the Muslim man in this example and say, yeah, he did good things. He did a loving thing, but that's meaningless without Christ. And so if you're looking at it in that situation, I think, well, yeah, maybe I would rather be the, the Christian. Because if it's a true, genuine faith and he made a terrible mistake and committed this horrible evil... There can still be forgiveness for that. God forgives us of our sins if we trust in him. So um, 
just got all preachy on you. <laughs> Let's jump back up and finish this video. The, the, the dilemma is still there. The second response I often get is, well, you're assuming works righteousness. No, I'm not. That's not the point. The, uh, the claim here is not that you could be saved because you've done enough good works. The point is, uh, which one of these two people is the one through whom Christ is most likely living and dwelling with? Uh, if you had to choose one of those two, is Christ most likely to be present in the life of the person who believed the right things, but uh, turned his neighbors over to a genocide? Or is Christ most likely to be dwelling within the life of the person who maybe believed some wrong doctrines, but loved their neighbor? So here I think is a very interesting point of, of asking a question, who is Christ more likely dwelling with or dwelling in? I think that's interesting because um, you don't have to believe in Jesus Christ in order to do good things. And I don't think that simply doing good things means that Christ is dwelling in us. Right? Romans chapter 2 says the moral law has been written on our hearts that we know right from wrong apart from the law. And so a person can be loving, and I think this is part of kind of the 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 the, um, the grace that God has is, is, is given all of us, right? That it, that it expressed to the whole world in which we can all have acts of love and we can we can show grace and kindness to others and it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not and you can you can do those sort of things because of God's grace that he's poured out over everybody and his presence in this world that that we can be loving and forgiveness and kind and and compassionate and all this sort of things and not have to believe in him I don't think and I'd have to you know kind of think hear a little bit more from Randall exactly what he means by this but I don't think that just because someone is nice is loving is compassionate is is following God's command to love your neighbor as yourself means that Christ is dwelling in that person if that person has also rejected Christ, right? Because in that sense, like there's a lot of wonderful, loving atheists and to say Christ is dwelling in them. Well, there's a, there's a general sense, yes, in which God's, you know, prevailing grace over everybody um, is, is allowing us to, to live out in the way that he's called us to live, even if we don't believe in him. But it's not that Christ is necessarily dwelling in that person necessarily. Um, Christ comes and dwells within us when we, I think, accept him as Lord and Savior. So kind of an interesting question to kind of think about uh, which one uh, is Christ dwelling with? Um, yeah, one person is clearly going against the teachings of Christ. Another person is going with the teachings of Christ. But again, I think uh, what, what is important for us is not just what we do. But again, I think what I'm trying to make the argument here is what we believe is also massively important. You know, think about, you know, my, my son is like, I, do I want my son, you know, students often ask me this question of like, what about say you believe in God and then do whatever you want. It's like, well, that's like saying, you know, mom, dad, I love you, but then always being disrespectful, disobedient and never doing what they ask you to do. So to be, if, if to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus Christ, say, Jesus, I want to follow you. You are Lord of my life. I submit my will to you. What does it mean then to say someone is a Christian and believes the right things, but then doesn't submit their life to Christ and doesn't love him, doesn't follow him. It's like, do I want my son to obey me or do I want my son to love me? Right. And in a sense, it's like, well, I want both. And, and it depends on the, also what kind of what we're doing in a sense. We're like, you know, it's like uh, if we're crossing the street, I just want him to obey me at that moment. Like, who cares if he loves me at that time? Right. I, I was listening to a great Coco show the other day and he talked about this idea of of these kind of pastorisms is it doesn't matter how much you know until you show how much you care. And it's like, well, yeah, there's a general truth to that. We as Christians and if Randall, if this is the point, you know, that you're kind of trying to say is we we can do better. We need to do better. 
at loving people at allowing the true Christian beliefs that we hold of, of the love of God and the compassion of God to affect our behaviors and how we treat other people. Randall just posted the other day on Twitter, like before you comment to someone online, you know, a snarky comment to them on Twitter or whatever, like imagine sitting down across the table from them at a coffee shop and then post. I think that's huge. I think that's so important. Like imagine sitting there face to face before you say something. And I think that we, need to do better in this. We post terrible things about people online. Um, and we need to stop. And so if the, the, the call here is that Christians, we need to be more loving. We need to be better. Yeah, absolutely. We need to be better at reflecting Jesus uh, to this culture. Um, but at the same time, you know, uh, Greg Kuckel brought up this example of like, it doesn't matter how much you know until you show how much you care. It's like, you know, when I go to the doctor, I don't really care how much he cares. I just want to make sure he knows what he's doing and can treat me well. Right. And so there is an aspect in which knowledge is important. And, and, and I think the same with my son. It's like, do I want him to love me or obey me? Well, if we're crossing the street, obedience is really important here. Right, we're doing something else. Love is more important. But in a sense, I want to build both into him. And I think that they're both connected. Where if he says, God, Dad, I love you and I want to follow you, then there's obedience that comes from that. It just naturally it flows. But if he's not obeying, if he's disrespecting and disobedient, always just doing the opposite, then you have the right to question his love and say, I don't think you love. And that's exactly right. And then in, in John is or in first John, as we taught, as we read, if so you say, I love God, but hate your brother, you're a liar. Same way, I think if a person, a, a kid says, dad, I love you, I want to follow you, and then hates the dad and disrespects the dad, then that kid's a liar, doesn't love and want to follow dad. So uh, again, I think that's important to kind of recognize what do we mean by believing the right things and doing and, and living out the right way. All right, here we go. Last part is his uh, summary and conclusion of this video. So I don't think that you can reject the thought experiment that I proposed to you by saying, well, it's based on works righteousness. It is not. We're all saved by grace through faith. Uh, the question is, uh, which one of these two would you choose? And this brings me to finally to my conclusion. If those are my options, I could choose to be an orthodox, quote unquote, Christian pastor who had all the right theology, but who turned my congregants over to be cut into pieces by uh, machete wielding Hutu militias. Or if I could be somebody who believed the wrong things. Um, believe that there is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. But every day I went out and risked my life for the love of neighbor. Of those two options, I would choose Mabaya Diagni. I would choose to be the one who gave my life for his neighbor. I think all in all, that is a closer approximation of what it means to follow Christ than the pastor who believed the right things, but participated in genocide. Now, if you agree with me, then you should agree with me with the conclusion that loving your neighbor is more important than believing the right things. All right. And there is the end of the video. So again, kind of as he clarifies and summarizes here at the end, you know, this idea of like, this is a closer to following Christ. In a sense, that's true. It's, 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 it's closer to acting in the way Christ is calling us and, and um, has commanded us to act. But what does it truly mean to follow Christ? Right? Again, like it's following Christ's actions, but not following Christ in submitting to him, in following him and, and placing him as Lord of our lives. Right? And again, I think these are inseparable things where, where if you have to pick between those two, um, you, you follow Christ as Lord of your life. That's what it truly means to follow him, not simply just acting in the right way.
And I think the passages that I that I pulled up and that we looked at in our time today uh, help show that yes, right actions are important. They are a reflection of right belief, but right belief is also hugely important. That if you don't believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you're not going to be saved. And we looked at those verses. And so um, it, it's not a false dichotomy in the sense I get the, the thought experiment that he's trying to say, but I just don't think that they're separable things. I don't think that they're separable. To try to separate true faith in God or a right belief and love and say which one is better. I don't know how we say which one is better. Better for what? Better for what? Um, but when we recognize that, yes, just simply right action is not saving you because if we're standing before the throne of God and just simply right belief doesn't save you, but it's a right, true belief that leads to true faith that where you're truly putting Christ as Lord of your life and you're actually following him, not just following his example and being nice to people, but you're actually following him as Lord, then that should naturally reflect a, a right action. And so um, those are kind of my thoughts. And this is where I, I, I don't know if you can really pick. But then again, I think I, I picked a couple based again. What, what's the context? What are we doing? Am I just trying to survive in the forest? Yeah, then, you know, as even Slammeran says here, take the knife and use stars for direction if the compass is broken and because it's no good. Um, but if you have a good compass, like I would rather get saved. Salvation is more important there. But again, to try to say, well, therefore, belief is more important than love. Well, it's not because belief without love is, is worthless. <laughs> These are both inseparable things that one should naturally flow from the other. So uh, with that, I went, wow, 48 minutes, a lot longer than I thought. So um, as I mentioned, there will be some Q&A and some other things about summer and ministry and all that kind of stuff now. So uh, if you want to sign out, hey, go for it. But hey, fun stuff coming up to important things that I want to share with you. So uh, let me go to this question by uh, Benji Moneyboy. Here we go. Uh, what do you believe about being able to lose your salvation or not? Um, this is a good question. And, and this is a debated issue among Christians for a very long time. My view on this has changed. Um, uh, in, in growing up, I, I thought you could lose your salvation. Um, now I would say you can't. Here's the big thing that changed it for me. It's a focus on what does scripture say rather than experience. See, for me growing up, and I'm just speaking for myself, I think at one point I thought you couldn't lose your salvation. And then I remember meeting a high schooler who was like, no, I was a Christian. And then I walked away and I lost my salvation. And now I'm back. And I was like, wow. If this person was a true believer and grew up in the church and walked away, then I guess you can lose your salvation. Um, and so it was that experience that, that led me personally. And you may be like, well, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but for me personally, it was based on someone's experience, someone's testimony saying, no, I was a believer. Or Here are the, Here's this other believer that was a true believer in the church and then left and has walked away uh, that caused me to think, okay, well, I guess you can lose your salvation. The, the difference though, and I think what's important is, is what does scripture say, right? Because I get that's what our experience is. But if, if our experience disagrees with scripture, which one wins? Scripture wins. And so it was when I went back and I started looking at what does scripture have to say on this issue, that then I changed my view to where I think that you cannot lose your salvation. Now, there's a lot of verses uh, that go into this, um, but, um, you know, I, I have a, a long list right here and I'm kind of looking through them here very, very briefly. Um, but I think you can say, look, based on things like uh, John, John has a lot. Um, John um, 10, 28, as it says here, I gave them eternal life. 
they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Right. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. So I think this is one verse to say, look, no one can snatch you out of the father's hand. So look, like if if I had the ability to walk away, maybe I would. But Jesus is holding on to us to where like no one can take us out. And I think that that no one also includes myself, that, that no one would be me and no one else can snatch me out of the father's hand. And so uh, it's because of how I'm saved. I'm saved based on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, that Jesus has guaranteed my salvation. And therefore that guarantee is found in him, not in myself. And therefore I will not be able to take myself out, nor anyone else could take me out of his hand. Um, I think that if we also look at um, John 6, 37, let me pull uh, John 6, 37 up here. 6, verse 37. I think this is another one that has can kind of convince me. It says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all the Father has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So again, I think here, all that the Father gives will be saved. Right? The, the Jesus says, I will lose none of the Father, uh, I shall lose nothing of all that he has given me, but will raise it up on the last day. So again, I think we trust in the Lord and Jesus gives us to, or the Father gives us to Jesus and our, our salvation is found in who Jesus is. Uh, then that is where we can say, look, it, yeah, if maybe it was based on me, maybe I could, but it's not. It's based on who Jesus is. Jesus is guaranteed that he will lose none. And so Again, I think if I pull myself out of his hand, if I am saved and then I lose my salvation, I interpret that to mean that that would be Jesus losing some. And this is saying that Jesus will not lose any. And that is why I think um, it will not happen. I think we can look at others. Um, all right, children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming now, so many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. So this is a very common verse that is often given to, to support this view that, look, uh, that if you truly are saved, that if you truly are part of the flock, then you would not go out, that you would not be lost. And if you can go out, then it means you truly weren't saved, right? So this idea um, that, well, okay, there must not have been a genuine salvation if they left. But if they had a genuine salvation, then they haven't really left. And so we may think that we've left and we haven't, or we may think that we were saved and maybe we weren't. Um, because again, Jesus tells parables of wheat and the tares, that there's a lot of people that are gathered up together, um, but they are going to be cast out. And so um, based on this and a few other verses that we could get into later, if you want to be more organized rather than a quick question, um, uh, that is where I would say, I don't think that you can lose your salvation, um, because of who Jesus is. And it's him that has guaranteed it for us. If, if works cannot earn me my salvation, I don't think works can take you out of salvation. Now, Slam uh, asked this question in John 6, 37 to 40. How can we know they are among those the father chose? Uh, 37 to 40. Okay. So back to this. Yeah. How do we know? And I think that's important for us is, is to say, I don't think that we, we can 
right? I don't think that I can look at someone at a church and know 100% for certain what's going on because I can't see the heart. I can't see what's going on inside. We we can make a good judgment, as we kind of talked about a little bit with the thought experiment. We can make a good judgment of 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 based on actions. Uh, does this person display the fruit of the spirit? Does this person display love? But again, I think that as the passages that we looked at, just because you are not loving does not mean that also you are a true believer uh, because belief in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is also relevant for that. So I don't think that we can with 100% certainty say this person is someone the Father has chosen as well as I don't think we can say 100% certainty this is not someone the Father has chosen. Um, All we have to go from is what are they telling us and what are they expressing? And if they say, look, I love God, I love this and their actions reflect it, I think that we can say that sure looks like they're saved. I think that we can have confidence in their salvation as well as ours. We definitely, I think, can have a better understanding of our own. Um, I know if what I'm saying is something I truly believe, that when I say I believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, whether I'm just making that up and saying it or I truly believe it so I can know for myself, and God knows, I think we have some ways that we can kind of uh, judge from the outside and try to hold people accountable. Look, you say you believe, but you're living this way. What's going on? You say you love God and you want to follow God, but you know, God tells you to do these things and you're not doing them. Here, scripture says, if you say you love God, but hate your brother, then you're lying and you're hating these people. So what does it look like to say you love God and that God is love and God has called you to be compassionate? I think we can ask those questions and, and challenge people to, to think through um, their beliefs. Uh, but I don't know, how can one know they are among those? Oh, sorry, uh, I misread this. Um, how can you know if you're among those the Father chose? I think, again, I think if you are honestly coming before God. And so this gets into Calvinism, Arminianism, all this kind of stuff. Um, I think I've shared on the show before, I'm a Molinist. Uh, I believe that, that free will, that we have free will, that God is sovereign, that he chooses and elects those based on, um, based on a knowledge uh, of who he has, of who will freely come to know him. Um, and so again, I think that you can know that you're among those who the Father has chosen if you have trusted and believed in him. Um, there's not going to be anyone. I think all views would agree on this. There's not going to be anyone who believes in their heart that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, who follows him, has submitted their life as Lord and Savior, and who has not been chosen by God, right? Because the Arminian would say, yeah, that makes you chosen, the fact that you believe those things. And the Calvinists would say, you can only believe and do those things if you have been chosen. And so if you are doing that and expressing your your faith in God and, and following him as Lord and Savior, then you can be confident that you have been chosen by God and that God will not let you go. Um, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't truly believe, if you know that you're just saying it, you don't actually believe it or, or whatnot, I think then, then there's ways in which we have to think through that. And so um, that's kind of where I guess I would go with how can we know that they're among those the Father's chosen is if you've trusted in him, then you can be confident in that salvation. With that, um, I'm going to have a few other things I'm going to mention here. Um, I don't know why. Oh, there we go. I had the wrong one. Um, before we close up, kind of in, in closing, Slimer, uh, you're welcome. Thank you for being here again. Um, uh, if there's other questions, send them in here really quick in the end. But um, man, summer was crazy. Summer was good. Um, but he- here's what I want to just offer here really quick. And I, I don't do this very much, but it's the beginning. And so I'm going to do it because it's the beginning. Back in May, and I've, I've told you guys about this, ThinkWell was launched, uh, a new ministry umbrella kind of to, to govern and, and guide the, the ministry and the work that I'm doing here on YouTube as well as speaking. I have a board of directors. It is official 501c3 government recognized organization. Um, and with that come 
costs. With that come things that have to be done and, and bills that have to get paid and, and lawyers and accountant fees that have to be done in order to set things up appropriately and all that kind of fun stuff. And so uh, I, I've taken this ministry as a fun side hobby, things that I just kind of, I've spent my own money on uh, because I love doing it and I love sharing it with you. And, and, and my wife and I, we've, we've made this official because we truly believe that this will allow us to grow. It will allow us to impact and, and more people and make a bigger difference. And again, the downside with that is, is now there is an additional cost that comes in and there's an additional need for people to come alongside and support. And, and so I hate asking, I was a missionary. I raised support for a long time. I hate asking for money and, and asking for support. But, but as many of you know, who, especially if you're in the Christian world, you know, that, that it's just a, a thing that happens with ministries. Ministries have expenses, ministries have operations, and, and it just costs money to run stuff. And so I just want to, to ask and, and have you prayerfully consider that if you um, uh, love this ministry, that if you've been following for the years that it's been going, right, starting all the way back in 2015 with, with Coffee House Questions blog and then the podcast Coffee House Questions in 2016, and then YouTube really kind of kicking off in 2019, 2020 with short videos turning into Ryan Pauly now into think well uh, if you've been following this if you benefited from it if you if you love the work that we're doing if you want to help us continue to grow and expand and make a difference in training Christians to defend the faith, to faithfully live out their beliefs, to live them out well, not just believe well, but to live well. And, and ultimately doing this by equipping the church for discipleship and evangelism and for cultural engagement. Uh, if you want to help us do that, I would love for you to prayerfully consider uh, coming alongside uh, and joining us as monthly partners, uh, giving a one-time gift or a monthly gift to kind of further expand and grow this ministry. There's a lot of fun stuff that's happening now. Uh, there's lots of changes and, and new opportunities. Um, but but now that I'm finally home, <laughs> now that the summer uh, craziness is over, uh, the focus is then going into what do we need to do to grow ThinkWell, to, to, to establish ThinkWell as a ministry and to get it functioning and operational and all that kind of stuff. And one of the big, big needs and asks that we have is for monthly partners. And so it's something that we're praying about, about how to go about that. Um, again, as a missionary and I support raise for a long time, I don't want to support raise again. I've always just kind of had it there to say like, Hey, if this is something you want to support, cool. If not, whatever. Uh, but it definitely is more of a need now with actual expenses uh, than it has been in the past. So if that's of interest to you, uh, you can go, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, in the description below is the is the link that you can click on at the very bottom. Uh, if you're listening on radio or podcast or whatever, it's the website is think-well.org slash donate. Uh, thank you, Slammerin. Um, there's the giving option you just posted in the live chat there on YouTube. Think slash well or sorry, dash, not a slash, uh, but a dash over it sideways. Uh, think-well.org slash donate. Uh, there's multiple options that you can choose from. And I just wanted to to offer that and say, would you prayerfully consider uh, joining and, and partnering with us? Uh, I would love it. It would mean so much. And it would allow us to continue to kind of do this work and have a lot of fun. As far as upcoming interviews, let me just throw out some quick interviews uh, here really quick. Um, next Friday, Eric Johnson uh, from Mormon Research Ministry on Friday uh, the 16th. 
at 4 p.m. Pacific time. Eric Johnson from Mormon Research Ministries is coming on. He has a new book. I don't have it here in front of me, uh, but it's called, I think, Sharing Christianity with Mormons. And it's uh, it's one of the most comprehensive guides of the differences between the LDS faith and the Christian faith, and then how to have conversations and how to go about being equipped and ready for that sort of engagement and having that gospel conversation. So whether you have LDS uh, family members, friends, whether you just want to be ready when the Mormon shows up at your door, the missionary, um, I hope that you would join us for that conversation and you can begin submitting your questions uh, that you have about the LDS faith, um, as well as uh, how to have those conversations for that conversation, that interview on September 16. Also on October 19, Dr. Jeff Myers from Summit Ministries is going to be joining me. He has a new book coming out called Truth Changes Everything. I believe it comes out the day before on the 18th of October, but on October 19 at 4 p.m. Pacific time as well. Uh, he's going to be coming on to talk about truth and his book, Truth Changes Everything. So those are two interviews that are coming up. I have a few more emails that I'm sending and people that I'm contacting uh, on that as well. And then lastly, just a quick kind of update over the summer. Uh, for those who just want to kind of know what's going on with this ministry um, and and kind of stay up to date on what's happening. Um, August was crazy busy. Um, August, let's see, I started out uh, at the beginning of August. Uh, just kidding. Well, not August. Let's go back to June here. Uh, when is that conversation? Uh, D Dr. Jeff Myers is October 19, 4 p.m. Pacific time. And uh, Eric Johnson is next Friday. Uh, September 16 at 4 p.m. Pacific time. So Mormonism and Christianity, September 16. Dr. Jeff Myers from Summit on um, October 19. So uh, June, uh, yeah, we, we spent three days up at Alpine Christian Camp uh, working uh, with a treat on a, a high school, junior high high school uh, retreat. Um, from a church in Las Vegas, uh, was here in Southern California at Alpine Christian Camp on their retreat. And so three days there, five lectures working with those junior high high schoolers. We went on from that uh, June 12 to 18. We were in, U uh, I was in Los Angeles leading a worldview immersive experience for Maven. So uh, took students from North Dakota to Los Angeles and we would train them on biblical aspects of a Christian worldview and then giving them immersive experiences to uh, engage that. So they learned a biblical view of beauty and we took them to the Getty Museum and looked at the artwork. We looked at a biblical view of sexuality and then we went down to kind of West Hollywood. We looked at a biblical view of poverty and we went to the Orange County Rescue Mission. Uh, we went to a biblical view of economics and we have a presentation uh, with um, uh, uh, a guy that works for Google. And so we, we wanted to have them see a biblical worldview of these different areas and then give them an experience to live that out. Um, and so that is what that worldview experience was. Oh, and that just reminds me, I have a big announcement for you as well. Uh, questions are also coming in. Are you recording this? Uh, the conversations will be live streamed on YouTube, but as well as then after the live stream, they're, they're posted and they remain active on YouTube. And so um, you can watch it immediately after uh, if you're not there live. And so that will, it, they'll be posted on my YouTube channel. So if you subscribe and you follow, you can either watch them live or watch them after the fact. But the Orange County Rescue Mission um, is, is a ministry here in Orange County that um, comes alongside people that are homeless, uh, that want to come off the streets and and kind of get their feet back under them and and to to give them not just a hand out, but a hand up to try to to train them. And so their program is about 18 months long where they go to, through tons of training and job experience and, and 
you know, resume building and, and they, they, they put them to work where they learn skills um, and to hopefully then graduate from the program and get back on their feet uh, where they are not in need of government assistance any longer. And it's a incredibly successful program, but it's also a Christian based program. And they have a once a month apologetics night where they have uh, someone come in and give a presentation on something apologetics based. Then they also have a once a month discussion night where you discuss what that presentation was about and, and other questions that they have on Christianity. So I've been privileged to uh, be able to go and give the apologetics presentation. Uh, and I gave a talk on the evidence for the resurrection to the students there at the Orange County Rescue Mission, as well as I've been able to fill in twice for the person who leads their apologetics monthly discussion group. Uh, this person was sick and I got called in and I led that discussion group. One time was on uh, Sean McDowell's talk on, on chasing love, a, a biblical view of sexuality. And we had a great discussion regarding love and sexuality. And then the other time I filled in, it was after Brett Kunkel actually gave a talk on the reliability and authority of scripture. And so we just had questions about tra Bible translations and all that kind of fun stuff. Well, the OC Rescue Mission has recently reached out to me and asked if I would take over that monthly discussion group. The person who was leading it can no longer do it. And I came to mind since I'm someone who has filled in. And so my wife and I talked about it. We prayed about it and we have agreed to do it. So starting in October, um, let's see here, starting in October, when is it? Um, it's the last, it's the fourth Monday, the fourth Monday of every month. Um, that is something that you can be in prayer for. So the fourth Monday of every month, starting October 24th, um, I will be heading down to the Orange County Rescue Mission and volunteering with them and to just lead an apologetics uh, discussion group to be working with the students there uh, who are trying to, again, to, to get their life back on track and to, to leave with a foundation, uh, not only a knowledge, a skill set, a job skill set, but also a knowledge and foundation in who Jesus is. So again, like this is something that if you want to come along and support this ministry, it allows me to, to do this sort of stuff where I can partner with these ministries and, and offer my time and volunteer with them and and um and continue to help build into people not just students but here um these people at the orange county rescue mission and the students that they have there so that's a fun uh announcement exciting thing that is going to be starting here uh this month uh let's see uh there's also the conference in torrance hey i've posted the first three videos of the torrance conference um that i gave there there's still two more sessions to go and i'll be posting those videos as well so if you want to kind of check out that conference as well as kind of see an example of, of my sessions that i teach not just my youtube videos like this that i do but also uh how i teach at conferences. Uh, those videos have been posted as well as um, they are coming up. The day that that ended, uh, my family and I flew out to Utah for a biblical immersive experience with Maven where we were training students in Mormon theology and Christian theology and getting into those conversations. Um, that also leads to another announcement. A lot has happened, my goodness, since I've been here, is that here at the end of September, September 24 to 29, uh, we're heading back out to Utah uh, to to lead a group of about 120 people from Impact 360 in Georgia on a biblical immersive experience. And so the whole Maven team is heading out to Utah, meeting these 120 people from Impact 360 in Georgia. And so I'll, uh, I'm going to be helping coordinate and kind of uh, oversee all of the different groups. They're breaking up all the students into six different smaller groups where we have six different field guides leading them and guiding them and doing activities with them where we'll be going uh, to different places throughout Utah and getting into conversations uh, with members of the LDS faith. And so you can be in prayer 
over that trip um, because it is an incredible thing. And I think, uh, who was it here at the beginning? Scarlett. Scarlett was in Utah with me that summer on that trip. She said, it was the best experience of my life. I learned so much and grew so much in my faith. So Scarlett, uh, it was amazing working with you and the rest of all you guys from your group. Um, and so uh, for those of you who are not aware of these trips, they're amazing. Um, and we can do them with your team too, your church, your youth group, whoever it may be. Uh, but that's where we're going to be heading out in about two weeks. Uh, out to Utah again to lead another group of students. Uh, and then July, let's see. Um, July was um, back up to Alpine camp. Um, and there's Scarlett still here. Thanks for still being here. <laughs> I'm talking forever, guys. Back up to Alpine camp again, working with high schoolers and junior high students. Um, uh, yes, the Orange County Rescue Mission is in Tustin. Uh, Tustin, Orange County is where the OC Rescue Mission is. Incredible ministry there. Um, and so happy to partner with them and, and help them out with their discussion nights. Um, Alpine Camp, again, more junior high, high school ministry there. And then we flew out to Florida where I was speaking at the Baylife Retreat uh, or Baylife Church uh, out in uh, near Tampa, Florida with their high school retreat. And then again, it was back to Summit Ministries. I told you guys a little bit about Summit before. If you're not aware of Summit, Summit is one of the best um, training programs for your teenager, whether you're a teenager or you have teenagers, 16 to 22 years old, so I guess a little bit above, um, and just an incredible experience uh, where these students sit through a wide range of lectures, uh, a lot of them, a lot of hours in the classroom, uh, being trained in Christian worldview, Christian leadership, discipleship, apologetics, theology, uh, to try to make them a well-rounded individual where they truly know the Christian worldview and faithfully live it out. And it's 12 days long, something like 60 hours of lectures over those 12 days by by about 19 or so different faculty members that come in and talk on a wide range of issues. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the people we had there. We had people from the Discovery Institute. Um, we had uh, Casey Luskin from the Discovery Institute talking about intelligent design, Dr. Frank Turek. Uh, who else was there? Christopher Yuan um, talking on sexuality, Brett Kunkel, um, all the, the Stand Reason speakers, John Noyes and Alan Schleeman on suicide and, and Islam. Obviously, Dr. Jeff Myers spoke, Dustin Jismijan, I spoke. Uh, I was able to give lectures on, uh, I did an atheist role play. I also gave a lecture on gender identity, how to navigate gender identity as a Christian, uh, a lecture on the evidence for the resurrection, and then redeeming entertainment culture. And so those were my four lectures. And again, my role as a faculty in residence was just to simply be available for the students, to sit down and have conversations with them, uh, to, to work through issues with them, to discuss other lectures that they listened and had questions about. And it was one of the best things. My wife and I just absolutely loved it. They loved us. They loved Lennox. Uh, it was amazing. Girls pulled my wife aside for conversations. They pulled me aside for conversations. We had conversations together at tables, uh, sports time, activity time, whatever it was. We had an absolute blast. It was amazing. And so if you have a kid or you are a kid and you are interested, go to Summit. Um, it is amazing. Look into it. Uh, Benji Moneyboy, I'm sure that you can agree. Uh, he said, I was at Summit and I love what you're doing um, and so or what you've done. And so it is incredible experience and um, check it out at Summit Ministries. And if you want to learn more from Dr. Jeff Myers, that interview is October 19. So with that, I've been talking forever, way too long, but I think that is about everything. So uh, it has been so good to be back. I'm, I'm happy to kind of work through this with you. Hopefully it was helpful to think through uh, this, this understanding and reconciliation of beliefs and actions uh, that, that, that the natural outflow of a correct theology should be correct action. And, um, and, and that is how we are called to live as Christians. 
And so if we are not loving those around us, if we are not being respectful, if we're not being forgiving, if we're not forgiving others as we have been forgiven, then we need to stop and, and think like, do I really understand what it means to be forgiven by Christ and what he's forgiven me? And why am I not forgiving others? So a lot to work through there. And uh, thank you for sticking with me next Friday, September 16, uh, is that Eric Johnson interview on Mormonism and Christianity. So with that, Thank you again for being here. Pray that you would consider supporting and joining this ministry as well as thank you just for being here. If you also just want to subscribe, like, share it, um, that would that's also a huge help as well. It's just getting this out to more people as well. I just love being able to do this and I hope that it just benefits people uh, in incredible ways and helps them grow and deepen their faith and think well about life because thinking about Jesus is worth it. Scarlett, thanks for being here. Benji Moneyboy, thanks for being here. Slam Moran. And if anyone else was here, thank you all for being here. You guys are wonderful. Pray that you have a wonderful rest of your day and continue to think deeply about God, Jesus, and Christianity because they are worth thinking about. Bye, everybody. Guide my